You're listening to the Colonial Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast in Kingsport, Tennessee. We are a community committed to prayer, radical hospitality, and intentional invitation. The epistle lesson for Pentecost is from Acts, the second chapter, verses 1 through 21. I told uh, the class that I teach on Wednesdays, this is one of those most fun texts in all the New Testament to read, if you can get the names right. On the day of Pentecost, all the Lord's followers were together in one place, and suddenly there was a noise from heaven like the sound of a mighty wind, and it filled the house where they were meeting. And then they saw what looked like fiery tongues moving in all directions, and a tongue came and settled on each person there, and the Holy Spirit took control of everyone, and they began speaking whatever language the Spirit let them speak. Many religious Jews from every country in the world were living in Jerusalem, and when they heard this noise, a crowd gathered. But they were surprised because they were hearing everything in their own languages, They were excited and they were amazed and they said, don't all these who are speaking come from Galilee? Why then do we hear them speaking our very own languages? Some of us are from Parthenia, from Media, from Elam. Others are from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya near Cyrene, Rome, Crete, Arabia. Some of us were born Jews. Others of us have chosen to be Jews. Yet we hear them using our own language, telling the wonderful things that God has done. And everyone was excited and they were confused. And some of them kept asking each other, what does this mean? Others made fun of the Lord's followers and said, they're drunk. Peter then stood with the 11 apostles and spoke in a loud and clear voice to the crowd. Friends and everyone living in Jerusalem, listen carefully to what I say. You're wrong to think that these people are drunk. After all, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. But this is what the Lord, what God said to the prophet Joel. When the last days come, I will give my spirit to everyone. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will have dreams. In those days, I will give my spirit to my servants, both men and women, and they will prophesy. I will work miracles in the sky above and wonders on the earth below. There will be blood and fire and clouds and smoke and the sun will turn dark and the moon will be as red as blood before that great and wonderful day when the Lord appears. Then the Lord will save everyone who asks for his help. This is the word of the Lord. One of the things I always notice about Scripture is how oftentimes things in the New Testament have, if not a parallel, they draw something from the Old Testament. And so there is a sort of a continuity between what we call the Old and New Testament. And sometimes that's a bit of a surprise. Today on Pentecost Sunday, we have Peter quoting from the prophet Joel. That was the text of his sermon, if you will. But I think there's something far more ancient that takes place here as well. Now, in all fairness, there are scholars who disagree with me on this. But I think this makes sense. Way back 
in the beginning of the scriptures, back in Genesis, and as you saw, we're going to be spending a lot of time in Genesis over the next several weeks. Way back in Genesis, there is the story where they try to build the tower to heaven and they fail, and it is called what? Babel. And so the word babel, meaning unintelligible speech, moves into our language too. In many ways, language is always a problem for us. At various times, uh, our own country has fussed over language. What language are we going to use? We don't have an official language. The story is out there that back in 1789, somebody proposed that German be the language for our nation. You know, that's not true. That's really not what happened. Some, they, there, there was a, a, a piece about publishing something in German and it got bent all out of shape. But that's what we do because we don't always communicate very clearly. English has been the dominant language in our country. Why? Because most of our early ancestors came from English-speaking countries. That's why. When people immigrate to the United States, it is not uncommon that the first generation learn a smattering of English enough to get by, and it's the second generation that really begins to speak what we would think of as the normal tongue. Well, who's surprised at that? If you move to Italy, are you going to immediately speak Italian? Probably not, but you'll learn some. The United States has never really wanted to do something called an official language. We're a little uncomfortable with that. See, I'm convinced English never needs to be protected. The language of Shakespeare doesn't need me to protect it or authorize it. In this wonderful account of Pentecost, we come across a passage of Scripture that the truth is we will never fully understand. We are hearing the words of Luke as it was conveyed to him, and all of it is filled with symbol, and we don't know exactly what it looked like. But what we do know is that a power arises in this moment unlike the disciples or those gathered in that upper room had ever seen or ever felt before. And they are given the ability to communicate the gift of languages in that moment. The Bible never says that when it was all over, they could speak all these different languages again. It doesn't say that. They were given the ability to communicate. I really should have called this sermon communication because communication is far bigger than language. It's very easy, even among those of us who speak English, well, rather fluently, to talk past each other all the time. We do it, don't we? If we disagree with each other philosophically or religiously or politically, our language is doing this. We're not connecting. Communication, and if you know anything about communication theory, it's way more than speech. I've told this story before. Years ago when I was an associate in Lake City, we did something in that uh, congregation. It was called a lay renewal. I think maybe this church did one years and years ago. 
The guy who was this preacher for the day was pretty good, but he was one of the meanest people I've ever been around. And so I was the youth person, and so as the associate. So as I'm working with the youth, one of the youth said, how can a man talk so much about love and be filled so filled with hate? Communication. It's not what we're saying. It's how we're saying it and how we're living it. Last week, Jesus assures us that we will receive power when the Spirit comes. And now they're receiving power. But power for what? Well, what Pentecostal power means to those first folks is that they began to hear and understand and proclaim both orally and by their actions. This great good news of gospel. And people heard it and they understood it. And that's what happens when the Holy Spirit impacts us. When Peter is asked to describe the phenomenon, he draws on Joel and this promised outpouring of the Spirit as a way of testifying that something new is happening here. And we have to wonder, what is it that can take ordinary people like the disciples, and they really were ordinary people, like us, and transform them and us into something that is absolutely extraordinary? Church has celebrated Pentecost for the better part of 2,000 years. And it's not nearly as apparent, I don't think, in today's church as it was on that first Sunday in Acts. Someone said that the church looks like a football huddle. They've all got their heads facing each other and you know something important's going on, but the only thing you can see is their butt. I'm sorry if that offends you. And it is kind of that way sometimes in the church. It's hard to be understood by the world. Part of it is language, but part of it is the way we convey those principles, those high goals that we say is so important. How do you talk about God to people who either don't know anything about God or who have vastly different understandings of who God might be? Contemporary pastor says, I remember sitting with a group of lay people, all active leaders in the church, and I said to them, how many of you have said anything to somebody outside the church about your faith in the past year? And only one of them said they'd done so. We don't do it very well. But as we said last week, it's a whole lot easier even to talk about it than it is to live in ways that speak for God. There are powerful forces in our country and in our world that want to keep us from behaving according to the faith we know. I don't know if women do this or not. I know men do. So I'll address you guys, and if it applies to women, so be it. Bunch of guys get together and they're friends, they're buddies, and the next thing you know, somebody's telling a joke. I like a joke as well as the next guy. 
but the joke is intended to denigrate somebody else. It's really not about being funny. It's about denigrating somebody who is a different color or a different religion or do disagrees with you in some way, and we all laugh. You really think that's the way we give a demonstration of Christian witness? But if you speak up, you know what's going to happen. At least one of your friends is going to object and may choose not to be your friend anymore. How are we going to behave? There are powerful tendencies in our culture to force religion underground. Oh, it's perfectly okay, especially in our culture here in this part of the world, to talk about Jesus. We can talk about Jesus anytime. But start acting like we're following Jesus. And that's a whole nother ballgame. Start saying things that start messes with people's suppositions. That's a whole nother ballgame. Luke, who writes Acts for us, says that on the day of Pentecost, all these people are gathered from all these different places and they certainly would have understood if they'd been speaking in, Arab, uh, in, in Aramaic because that was the native language, but they all hear speaking in their own language. It's really the first opportunity we have to see that the gospel really is for everybody. It's reaching out beyond just those folks who are there in Jerusalem. The Spirit descends and all these people begin to hear this racket. My vision of this is a little different. I think they were in an upper room and there was a lot of people up there and they had the windows open. It wasn't glass, you understand. The shutters were open. And they start to make all this noise and people in the street say, what in the world's going on? Pentecost is already a Jewish holiday. There were tons of people in town. And then they hear the proclamation in all these different languages and they can tell by their accent that they're Galileans. It's like an East Tennessean trying to pretend he's from Brooklyn. They know the difference. And so what does the crowd say? Ah, they're drunk. And, and Peter gives the most, I think, astonishing reply in the world. Oh, they're not drunk. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. Well, wait a minute, Peter. If it were two, was that a possibility? <laughs> he doesn't say that, of course. And then, it's, of course, Peter and all the apostles stand up, but it's Peter who talks. Now, picture this. And I, you've, some of you heard me say this before. Peter is the guy who vows he will always be with Jesus and then runs away. He professes such loyalty, and then he's the one that denies Jesus three times. Um, he's the one at the end of John's gospel that um, Jesus has some fairly harsh words to, as well as some comforting ones. But it's Peter, this guy who has basically run away, who suddenly stands and speaks. Peter didn't do that on his own. Peter couldn't have done that on his own. Peter is overwhelmed by this presence of the Spirit. 
And as they speak, the mighty acts of God begin to be obvious. Communication is more than just language. It's doing the things that help people understand what we're saying is true. And, you know, facial expression and all those things play into it. But basically, it is truth-telling in a way that others can understand. The Spirit of God is upon me, Jesus said, to preach the good news. This was way back in the beginning. Even Jesus needs the Spirit's presence. How much more do we need it? It's easy on a beautiful Pentecost morning, and if you all were outside and came in, so you know how gorgeous it is outside. For me to stand up here and talk about communicating and preaching the gospel. All right, let's be honest. You know and I know that my job's easier than yours. You expect me to do that here. Nobody's going to fuss at me for proclaiming the gospel in this place. If I didn't do it, you would fuss at me. But we're going to walk out these doors. And some of you are going to go to work. And some of you are going to be at home. And some of you, I guess school is out for most people, but if you were going back to school or going to camp or any of those other things, and now you've got to demonstrate an ability to communicate the gospel. It's harder. I will readily admit it's harder for you because nobody necessarily expects you to. But nonetheless, it is expected. President of a major university in the United States tells the story of uh, getting on an airplane. And as he got on, um, on board the plane, the man seated beside him immediately pulled out a large study Bible. And the university president said, oh no, I'm beside a religious fanatic. So he keeps looking at him out of the corner of his eye. And the guy is deeply involved reading the Bible. And he pulls out a pad and he's taking notes. So the university president finally says, uh, oh, uh, I, yes, I see you're reading the Bible. And the guy said, yeah, I'm reading the Bible. University president says, well, you, you know I'm a minister of the gospel too. And the guy says, okay. And finally, the, the university president says, um, why are you reading the Bible? And the guy reading the Bible says, you got a problem with this? And he says, well, no, I don't have a problem with it. He said, well, I teach a Sunday school class tomorrow morning. It's a tough class, and I've got to get ready. Basically, leave me alone. <laughs> and the university president said, you know what? It was great communication. <laughs> because he made it clear he had a task to do, and he wasn't going to let anybody get in the way of the task. There's something about that we could all learn. By the grace of God, we have been called to live that life and communicate that story. And we know already some of the ways to do it. And the truth is, we do do it. We're engaged in that in ways that perhaps we don't think about. You think you're not preachers, right? Yeah, you are. And I've seen you. I've heard the stories. 
I know the story about a couple from this church who help an old man and buy his lunch and listen to his story about an ailing wife and they never knew him. I have seen you show up at the visitation for a family member of a church person who's died. And you didn't necessarily want to be there, but you went because your presence communicates I'm part of this too. And maybe I've been there and I care about you. Or outside my office, there's a little kitchenette. I've seen that place fill up with food that care shepherds are taking here and there and yon to people who really have a need in that moment. Don't tell me that you don't preach. I've seen the Thanksgiving boxes go out the door. Um, this, this September, to give you a date, uh, a year ago from this September, I stood in the gravel, dry foundation of a house and watched a child say, that's going to be my bedroom. They had no idea what it was going to be. But they could stand there and say, in about two months, my bedroom's going to be there. Do you not think that is part of God's proclamation? But I know it takes guts. And I use that term advisedly. I'm much aware that if we stand for the gospel, we may lose friends. And maybe we'll even lose other things. I am sure that you were as horrified as everybody else about the racist bigot on a train in Portland who was berating two young women. And when three men tried to intervene, he killed two of them. Now, we don't know if they were Christian or not. And I suspect we'll never know because the media doesn't give us that kind of information. But I do know what Jesus said. Greater love than this has no man than to lay down a life. And Jesus says for a friend, what does it mean when you lay down a life for a stranger? You know what the most ironic and tragic thing about all this is? Besides the loss of life, of course. The perpetrator, the last name, is Christian. How are we going to outlive that, folks? You think the world draws those distinctions? I'm not sure it does. Pentecost gives us the ability, the power by the Spirit of God to engage in honest, deep, real communication. And at its best, we are proclaiming not just in word, but indeed this loving kindness of the God who's not only gathered us in, but would gather others and gives us the task as people who are willing to talk and exist and love across every boundary that humanity will make. And if we're not doing that, we are not acting with the power 
of the Spirit. I don't know how I would have reacted, and you don't either, because we've never been there. But God, give us the power that when we are called to give witness, to be those who witness fully and wholly for the power of the gospel. And that's a gospel that uplifts and upholds. It does not destroy. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening to the Colonial Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. For more information about our faith community, visit us online at chpres.org.